Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is a driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire and keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. This year marks the first full year that I've been watching the Formula One races. So I, I bought the F1 TV subscription. I think it's something like 13 euro a month. So less than what I pay for Netflix. And it's it's quite amazing. Uh, this is the first year that they're offering the service. So usually you would watch the races on a, on a national TV or perhaps pay for a third party to deliver that for you. But But with the subscription, I feel there's more involvement from me as a spectator for the races. So what I get through the subscription is I get to see all the free practices on a Friday, the qualification and the interviews and the sort of the pre and after celebration things they have during Saturday, and then the actual race on a Sunday. The downside is that this is easily maybe five to six hours of live streams. But the upside is that if I'm watching this on, on the living room sofa, I'm using Chromecast from my Android tablet to, to put the picture on the big screen on the TV. But then on the tablet, I can switch between the driver cameras, the different views of, of the events, and it's really getting me more involved in that one. And it's been fun. And I'm fairly certain that I will pay for this next year as well, because it's per month, so you can just cancel it at any time. And this is probably the first and only and perhaps the last sports that I'm actively watching. Everything else is like, yeah, I can watch it whenever. But this is something that I now feel I want to watch this live. Okay, interesting. F1 to me means you bring up the help in, in Windows. <laughs> And that's about it. I, I don't get it. Watching cars driving around in circles. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea. I understand it's a big thing. Just like watching other sports, it's not something that I really do. Uh, I love sporting. Right? I, I love partaking in sports, but watching it was never my, my thing. I'm glad you found something that, that keeps you busy. Uh, so if, if you have some time to kill, then, then you can now use your F1 TV subscription. Um. So for me, um, I've been inspired by the great folks in our community because I know several people who who did this. And I bought this uh, Invisalign, whatever it's called, um, type of braces, which is like a 3D modeled, super advanced thing. They ship your your 3D model to the States and they uh, they make a model out of it and, and then recommendations on it. And then, then the dentist come back to me and say, okay, we now made it like this. Here's a plan for you to uh, figure out that like this is your current uh, situation, and this is the desired result. And in order to get there, this is what the journey will look like. And this is not for aesthetics for me, because one of my front teeth now moved so much, and I learned recently that the reason the the teeth move is because as you get older, which I now realize I'm I'm also getting older, the uh, the mouth gets a little bit smaller. So the room for the teeth will adjust accordingly. And in my case, yeah, one of the teeth just doesn't fit anymore. So it's now pointing out. 
And so it's not for aesthetics, but instead it moved so much that my upper lip is getting stuck when I laugh or smile. So this brings me back to the 90s. As a kid, I had this kind of full rails, as my so-called friends named it, uh, because I had both up and down. I had this metal bars going through, uh, you know, each each and every one of my teeth. So so I had that back in the 90s. And uh, this brings back memories. But now it's so modern. You don't have to eat the clay like you did, you know, to mold your teeth. You just do a 3D model, super quick, super convenient, super easy. They ship it off. They get it back and the dentist say, okay, now we have a plan. It's going to take me about 20 weeks, give or take, to uh, to get everything done. And at the end of that time, they say I will have a perfect smile. I don't know exactly what that means uh, and, and if that's true. I hope so. But again, because my, my tooth is pointing out, this would be a, a fun thing to do. So that's uh, a bit on the personal side of me, um, bringing me back to the 90s. But I wanted to bring this up because it's it's fun how modern this now is. And like all of these things that you did in the 90s, like putting the clay molds and, and all that, and that doesn't exist anymore. You just have a, a big machine. They put the, something in to do the 3D scanning and you get this super advanced computer program. And I could sit there and plan things just like I plan my IKEA kitchen with IKEA on the computer. I could sit here and plan how I want the teeth to look and where, where they should end up. And the, you, we could spin it around in 3D. So it's pretty cool. So it's it's modern. I wish you the best of luck with this journey. So in the future, should we call you Toby on rails? All right. Well, whatever you want. <laughs> All righty. So this week, we take an early look at Microsoft Defender Threat Intelligence. So this was announced. It's a new service. It was announced at the same time they announced the Defender External Attack Surface Management. Defender ESM. I think we did an episode on that maybe five episodes ago. And I sort of missed this announcement on the side. I was on vacation, so I didn't have time to read any of this. Uh, Toby, have you been exposed to Defender for Threat Intelligence? Uh, not a lot. I did take a look at it, and it's like a the Microsoft goal here is to kind of reimagine the analyst workflow. And and they had this Defender TI platform and kind of just aggregating and enriching critical data sources and and get that data displayed in in a more perhaps innovative way um, that is also easy to use and and factor in then different integration points. So I I haven't taken a big look at it. Um, but I think paraphrased from from the documentation, it says that with Microsoft Defender Threat Intelligence or TI, customers will have direct access to real-time data and Microsoft's unmatched signals to hunt for threats across their environments proactively. And when we talk about hunting, you know, immediately I start thinking about Microsoft Sentinel. So I think there's a, a, like a, a nice integration point here. And it also uses built-in AI and machine learning capabilities to uncover the attacker or, or threat and like the elements of their malicious infrastructure. So it's uh, it's just another kind of tool in the toolbox to give you more data about what's going on. So if you're threat hunting, if you're discovering signals from bad actors, from, from threats, then you can kind of bubble that up in, in this way as well. So I, I did take it for a very short spin. I did not sign up for, for the premium license and I did not uh, execute a free trial yet. But you can add some some custom stuff in it and and get started at least. So I I think it's a it's a good compliment. 
So what, what's your take on this? So so my take is, is roughly the same, and I'm positioning threat intelligence, TI, I'm positioning that as a sort of a special service, and definitely it's not for all organizations to deploy and to utilize, as opposed to something like Sentinel, it often makes sense to have that at some point and to cultivate that and monitor and react to the alerts and whatnot. This is an intelligence platform where Microsoft is gathering their signals and, 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 and the data that they're gathering by tracking different ransomware groups and nation states and cyber criminals and whatnot. And they're feeding all of that intelligence into a single platform. So this is not a collection of blog articles that you sort of casually skim through to see if there's anything worthwhile this morning. But this is instead of when you're hunting and when you are researching and trying to find signals for possible future threats or active current threats, possibly not for your organization, but for any organization. And I, I think we spoke about this um, as well with the Defender ESM episode that you can just add any IP address or domain name and start seeing the external attack surfaces. The same goes for TI, that you put in any IP address, email address, who is record, and you start getting the intelligence data. And then you start piecing those together to get the big picture, to understand something, perhaps to uncover an attacker or a threat to a certain platform. So technically, I feel this is easy to deploy. You just go to the portal. Let's talk about that in a second. And you start using it. There's no configuration needed. But in practice and in reality, I feel for regular admins, there's very little they get a benefit from unless they focus fully on threat management and, and hunting and for getting the signals and for analyzing those. And this is just one tool for that. You probably have a vast toolbox of tools, and this is just an additional tool on top of this. Does this, does this make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, and I really like how Microsoft is kind of building out the the portfolio of tools that we have in the security landscape. And right, all of these things help with our security posture. All of these things help us understand the bigger picture. We can more proactively go in and do threat hunting. We can more proactively see what's going on in the cyber landscape. So it's not just being reactive and say, okay, now we got a signal that we were breached, or now we got a signal that there is someone on the inside, but also like getting the signals of, of these cybersecurity uh, threat uh, threat actors and, and um, cyber criminals, uh, the nation states like you mentioned, and ransomware groups and all these things. I think that's pretty good and, and tying that in there. And I, I suppose there's a nice integration here uh, that you can feed data uh, into Sentinel from Defender TI, that's one of the things I, I noticed about the capabilities, because now we're talking about we have an additional tool. Do you need to go now here every day to figure out what's going on? But you can also feed that data into Sentinel, so you get that data into your like single pane of glass if you are doing active threat hunting there. And if your shock team is living inside of Sentinel, then rest assured you can get that data in there as well, which is which is important. So what different concepts do we have here? Like what can we do with with this thing? 
So I, I went through the concepts and on on the surface, they are not that complex, but depending on what you're doing with this, you focus on, on one or more of these capabilities. So let me highlight a few of these, then I'll let you highlight a few as well. So there's Defender Threat Intelligence articles. And on the documentation, it says these are not blog articles. These are technical deep dive information uh, close to the real time data that Microsoft is picking up. So they are sharing the analyst insights on attacks and vulnerabilities and the sort of narratives that, that they feel would be useful for the community. That's one. The second one is uh, the indicators. So links to resources and external resources on, on different indicators that they're tracking that might be usable for you when you actually start using this. So I, I know they also have like vulnerability articles where you can get the context for for different vulnerabilities and uh, Defender TI here offers CVE ID searches to help your, your users identify this critical information about the CVE. And then it searches the results in these vulnerability articles. So I, I think that's pretty great. You also have something like vulnerability articles. They have something called a Defender TI priority score and a severity indicator. And, and that's like a unique algorithm that reflects the priority of a CVE, CVE based on the CVSS score, the exploits, the chatter on the web, and the linkage to malware. So there are some things in here that are super interesting. So there, like a lot of these things, if you had to do these things yourself, it would be literally impossible. So now we get this out of the box with this tool. And uh, there's also something called reputation scoring, which I which I also like. Uh, which is for hosts, domain, IP addresses, and stuff like that. Um, and and that likes it, it's giving you the proprietary reputation score for for any of these artifacts, and, and and then you know validates if the reputation of a known or unknown entity is there. It, it gives you a score to help users understand and detect if this is tied to a malicious or suspicious infrastructure. An infrastructure could be a like a botnet or a cybersecurity group or or a known threat actor is using specific IP addresses or something like that. So th so there's a lot of stuff happening there. I think this platform also provide quick info about the activities of those entities, like uh, first and last seen timestamps, ASN country associated infrastructure again, and a list of rules that impact the reputation score when when that is applicable. Uh, so I, I think like all the things we're talking about now, you can dive deeper into them in, in the documentation. So we'll give you some good links to that as well. So you can take a look at like how, how does reputation scoring work in, in this case. So those are, are two of my favorites. Uh, do you have anything else? Yeah, uh, one that's super interesting is the data sets. So that's the indexed internet data, the public data. And I, I, th I feel this is exactly the same what Defender ESM also utilizes. So you point to a domain address or an IP address or subdomains or, or any of the different ways they, they've categorized the data. And immediately it gives you data and information back. And if you recall Defender ESM, you add a domain or some such, and then you wait for up to 24 hours to get that data back. But with TI, you put in whatever you want to search, it's like a search engine, and it immediately gives you all the information back. So the data sets, I feel, 
is is the big value here why you would consider spending time on CI perhaps acquiring the license as well and then you can organize everything your indicators your data sets your insights your reputation scoring everything you're finding through TI you can organize that into projects so you can have multiple different investigations going on without sort of losing track on what goes where and yeah. the interface for Defender TI is, is really like a mini Google. You have a search bar, search for something. That's it. And I, I just to touch on the projects here, right? I really like this because it gives you more context. So if you're in a SOC center, if you're working with the, the security operating center, if you're doing active threat hunting or, you know, whatever role you have, and if you're involved in, in investigation of some unknown threat actor or some active threats or, or some signals coming in, the project also helps you, just like you mentioned, you you kind of structure and organize the indicators of interest. Like if if you know that, well, these IP addresses are related to these resources in, in my company and we have, we can set up a project saying, well, this is our SaaS application or this is our whatever it is. And you can tie your domains and IP addresses and like artifacts to that project. Then when the investigation starts, you already have the context that, okay, the impacted infrastructure on our side, the impacted resources on our side, they're tied to this project. And this project is where we collected all the kind of artifacts around whatever it is. So you can group this in, in whatever way you want. Uh, so I, I see this like a, just like how you manage resource groups, for example, in Azure. Some people put them in a logical um, uh, context saying, well, everything that goes in here is on the same region. Or people put them, like in this research group, we only have SQL servers. Or in this research group, we have a specific re region of the multi-tenant or multi-geo SaaS solution we have. So there's you know, any wide variety of things you can do things um, also applies here with projects. I, I really like this. So the, it's a versatile setup in that sense. Uh, I try that out. I created a project. I come to the page and it says, well, what do you want to add? And then it's up to you to say, well, I want to add these artifacts. I added a couple of IP addresses for some of the domains I own. I added those domains as well. So you can add like different types of artifacts and, and add them all to the project. And then if there should be a signal coming in saying, hey, we found a signal coming in for, for one of the artifacts you have or for one of the things you have, then I can see, oh, this is coming from my, you know, my public website, uh, which is project two over here. And then I can directly see and get the context of, where these signals are really going in. So you don't just get an IP address. Well, one of your IP addresses is being targeted or, or is, is activating a signal, but yeah, to get this kind of context. Um, so that's pretty cool. And so how do you access this? Like if if anyone now listening in say, okay, we still don't have that much information about what this is. We wanna try it out and, and you know, really taking it for a spin, just like we just did. Uh, and I, to add on to that, I hope we can revisit this maybe in a quarter. So maybe in three months, we come back to uh, Defender TI after we've used it in production and actually integrated this with some of the services we use. And then we can really paint a bigger picture of, of how this can work in production. But for today, anyone tuning in, how do they start using this? So you get the free community tier. And you access this through ti.defender.microsoft.com. And obviously you need a Microsoft 365 account for this. What I tried, I logged in with my global admin, which is licensed for Microsoft 365 E5. So all the security capabilities are available. And even then 
you only get the free community tier. The limitation, so there's two licenses. There's the free community tier and a premium. Nothing in between, at least for now. What you get with the free one, for example, if you search for a domain address, which I did for a couple of my companies, it gives you, for example, the DNS history, what's been happening lately with this domain address. It gives you 14 days of history with the free community tier. If you have the paid license, it gives you up to or, or even more than 10 years of DNS history. So there's a lot of data you get with that one. And keep in mind that a lot of the capabilities you get is real time. So the free community tier, that's limiting it quite a bit. So it doesn't give you the reputation score. It doesn't give you any, any deep dive stuff on certain capabilities. So pricing. It took me a while to find the pricing because it wasn't sort of listed publicly on any of the announcement pages from Microsoft or even on the product page. But if you go to Microsoft 365 admin, you go to billing, you go to purchase services, you search for Defender, it's an add-on service you buy. So if you have an E3 or E5 license, this is not included. The price, 300 uh, no, sorry, 3,513 <laughs> euro per license per month. Or if you commit to one year, you get a slight discount, 42,165 euro per year. Okay, that, that's pretty juicy. And I mean, it, it's all depending on the context, right? If, if you need this kind of advanced capability, then you already spend quite a bit of money and, and you're probably a big organization. So in, in the past, you know, to put that into context, if if you just say, well, 3,500 euros a month per license, that's a lot. You know, my MSDN subscription is not going to cover that. <laughs> um, but looking back, like historically, I've worked with companies where you spend 100,000 euros a month just on plain infrastructure. And then you have like a security layer of services that adds another 12,000 a month or whatever. So putting it into, into the context of the bigger picture, I think it's, it can be affordable if you need it, but it's not something that you say, hey, this is nice to have, let's get it, right? Because you have to see the value and you have to bring that value back to the organization to make an investment like that. Because, you know, more than 40,000 euros a year uh, just to enable it with a premium license, it, it's a lot of money, um, but it, it's not too expensive for the value if that value that you bring back to your organization makes sense. So if you can leverage all these signals and the integration points to Sentinel and you can make active use of these things, by all means, this is awesome. I wish this was all available in the community edition so I could use it right away. Um, but I also get the like the kind of effort that goes into something like this. So just to put some context around that, it, it might sound expensive, but if you need it, then it's not expensive. If you want it, but you don't need it, then it's a nice to have, and then it's expensive. In, indeed. And perhaps what I see is that companies focusing on security, perhaps maintaining and monitoring security for their customers, or just, just maintaining and monitoring security for themselves, they will easily pay for this, the, the monthly license or the yearly license. And then they'll definitely configure uh, Defender TI to feed the threat intelligent data to Sentinel. I think you mentioned this. 
So this is an additional configuration. And then Sentinel is getting that data as well so that you can match that to your, your KQL queries for your alerts, for your hunting that you might be doing on Sentinel, because then you're pulling everything together plus feeding the extra intelligence data on top of this. So start with the free community tier and you will quite quickly see it's quite limited, but at least you get the hang of it. There's also a free trial for five users. I think it's 30 days. So perhaps have a look at that as well. So the last thing, the unexpected question. Now <clears throat> that we're done with the uh, threat intelligence and Toby, this week, it is your turn to ask me. Okay, I've got a good question here, and so I'm just going to send it your way quickly. What's the weirdest smell that you ever smelled? <laughs> oh, okay, this is this is weird. I I can think of a few weird things, but let's let's keep this civilized. But perhaps the first candidate that 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 pops up to my mind is is a distant recollection from my childhood. This was around maybe 1985. I was at the ripe age of eight years old and I would attend the second grade or second class of school, elementary school. And that, that was a time when I think we got the scented erasers, you know, the, uh, the neon colored erasers, because that was still a time when you would use a pencil to actually write anything down. And the scent on those, that was fierce. They would be watermelon and strawberry and honey and everything else. And everybody wanted to have those. And you would sort of keep sniffing through the day on those. <laughs> and that might explain some of the behavior of my generation today. But that's that's perhaps the weirdest one that I can think of. Okay, that's very awfully specific. Uh, I was one year <laughs> old in uh, 1985. Uh, so I didn't sniff any any rubbers or uh, erasers at that point, but I I do know them because we had them early 90s. It it was still a thing, perhaps not as big of a thing, but still a thing. It's very strange looking back. Good stuff. Alrighty, thank you for joining us, and let's tune in next week. All right, see you then.